call is now being recorded. We are SC Podcast. Gary Paskowitz joined by Daryl Rideau to talk about the uh, the USC 24 to 20 victory over Arizona down in Tucson last night. Daryl and you and I were talking, getting ready for the podcast, and just saying, kind of echoing the We Are SC message boards right now. It's amazing to come away with a win, and yet the conversation right now is talking more about what didn't happen than what actually did happen. What is your reaction sitting here right now, uh, 12 hours after the game? I mean, you know, what's interesting about it is if you were to tell me that the game plan would be to rush for over 250 yards, right, on the ground, uh, net net uh-huh. production yards, um, right. and hold JT Daniels to a pitch count under 30 attempts, but be highly effective in when he's throwing the ball in rhythm. I would take that all day. And if you even told me that you would even attack the middle of the field and exploit some of the well-known weaknesses of Arizona offensively and defensively, you would think that that's a recipe for success. And going into halftime, it looked to be the, the case. USC goes up, what, 17 to nothing at halftime? Mm-hmm. But, Gary, the part that is just mind-boggling to me and almost like watching this game uh, and seeing the amount of penalties and we're, and who was creating the penalties, if you were to tell me that this was a predominantly freshman team breaking in a lot of players, I can see this occurring. But so deep into the season, the fifth game of the season, and your veterans – those who you relied upon for years now, who've been in this program, who've seen the turmoil, who've overcome adversity uh, from a one in three, uh, you know, yeah, one in three start to winning the, the Rose Bowl. These are guys that accumulated a lot of experience. And for them to go on the road where it matters most in the Pac-12 South and to allow for the officiating to overwhelm the narrative of the game and not figure out a way to maintain your composure, to get yourself back in the game and, and, and really put a nail in this game, in this coffin, concerned me more than anything else that USC is now, instead of coming in with a, a, a dominating win, right, they come in limping in with more questions than answers yet to be uh, resolved. Right. Uh, well, I want to talk about some of the comments uh that a couple of the USC players made. They kind of described this this game. Cameron Smith, I'm sick. This doesn't feel like a win. Amon Ross St. Brown, we made the game much closer than it should have been. And then even Clay Helton, you know, always the optimist, admitting we let the other team come back into play and have a chance at the end. And uh, that kind of encapsulates everything because this was a game, like you say, USC was cruising. I, I think the most complete offensive performance of the year, Daryl, when, when you look uh, by, at it. By far. Run and pass, yeah. And, yeah. And it gives you a lot of hope and optimism that as the season wore on, we saw signs of, of, of really of an explosive offense to come. feels like under, under um, Cole, I don't want to call him co-offense coordinator because that wouldn't be correct. But Drevno, his uh, the running back coach, who's uh-huh. ultimately affecting the running game coordinator. Let's call him that, right? Um, yes. It, it feels like after five games that the offensive line is really starting to gel and have a better understanding of what is expected of them. Their, the the the, um, the blocking scheme was on point. I felt like for me, Toa Lobendam had his uh-huh. best game as a center. 
his ability to snap the ball and then become a lead blocker coming around that edge, sealing the edge, his his speed and the uh, effectiveness of of his ability to create that short edge and give our running backs a you know a decisive hole made all the difference in the front half. Well, now let's make no no mistake about it. This is not the greatest Arizona team that we've seen. Um, right. The Wildcats coming into this game were very hobbled and battered. But USC did what they were supposed to do. You exploit those weaknesses. Didn't see an effective pass rush coming from the Wildcats outside of maybe one or two um, defensive uh, a, a nose guard who I think they, they moved outside to create an effective pass rush. But, but outside of that, the offensive line took care of business, and the results showed. And you, you talked about it last week against Washington State. feels like when Clay Helton can identify two of the three running backs to kind of get themselves in a groove and rhythm, that this offense seems to click a lot more effectively as as the offensive line adjusts to the skill set of a Stephen Carr, and then this week it, it, it seemed to be Aka Cedric Ware. And I got to say, I'm surprised that uh, I'm surprised that Vivai was the odd man out with three carries. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not arguing it. The, the overall production on the day was beautiful. I'm not I'm not nitpicking right. on the run game, but I'm just surprised that Vivai only got three carries. But it, it was what, what, what I'm loving right now is a couple things. Um, a, I agree with you, the offensive line, something did seem to be working, and maybe it was the poor Arizona defensive line. Whatever it is, uh, it worked for a day. Um, but, boy, Stephen – okay, uh, Aka Cedric got his. You can't argue what he did. Uh, right. And one, of the odd, one of the oddity stats of Aka Cedric where three straight years in a row that he's ran for over 100 yards against Arizona – <laughs> well, well, well okay. if you're into the the, um, the analytics, right? Um, like the Dodgers are around this time of playoff uh, baseball, um, right? Clay Helton ran with the hot hand. <laughs> yes, he did. And, yes, and, and where it seems to have their number. And, and yeah, and, and he gave you everything you could ever want last night. Um, but I'm also like Stephen Carr. People are wondering, okay, is his back? You know, is he fully healed yet? What's this net? Has he lost a step? This guy's just continuing to break off big runs. Uh, you know, to the point where it's almost every game he's going to give you a thirty, forty yarder. You know, right? That 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 right, right. But but you there. notice, yeah, Gary. But you notice how Clay tends to lead with that fastball of of, uh-huh. uh, of Carr in the first quarter, and what it does, it creates that positive explosive play that this offense needs and this team kind of needs to calm itself down. And, and you love the fact that. That, that car is starting to fill himself. And you can tell that this is a car that, you know, is still on low mileage and, and really wants to get out there and have more production. But um, how he's being used effectively in the first, I, I would say the first quarter, seems to be the recipe that USC wants to continue with and then run a complimentary back behind him. Yeah, and he had, you know, he had, what, 14 carries for 80 yards, I believe. Um I don't doubt there's going to be games where he is the one around that 20-carry mark, and I'll enjoy seeing right. that when it happens. Uh, but I'm just making a note about Stephen Carr that, boy, it, he is back. He's, he's cranking out those runs, and I like the way you're saying that he's complimenting with someone else. You ran the ball 47 times, and you had JT throw it 24 times. Like you talked about with JT and his game plan with the pitch count, you know, getting him at that you know, reasonable amount of throws, and did you feel at all like he was shortchanged? I, I, didn't. I, I didn't. I, I, like, I, I did not. Yeah, you kind of felt like that it was it was within the flow and the context of yeah, the sure. game. And yeah. again, 
credit to to the coaching staff for really exploiting what they believe to be the Wildcats' weaknesses. If they weren't going to stop the run, we'll keep bringing it to you. And then to keep yeah. you honest, you know, I, I felt like they were playing a game of chicken. If if Arizona put eight in the box, they were going to exploit you with the very, very talented. For the two weeks in a row now, felt like the best unit on the field was the offensive receiving core. Really uh-huh. just loving those matchups and, and what JT is able to do with them. Um, left a little some football on the field. You know, there were a couple of times where I thought that, um, you know, if he would have really stepped into those throws, he could have hit Pittman in stride, you know, um, almost like Amon Ross St. Brown-like, just, just catch him in stride. But uh, that's something that he's filling out. Hopefully over the the um, the bye week, they can figure that one out. Because if you can get Look. Pittman as explosive as Vaughn and, and, and St. Brown, um, watch out. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, ball security with JT. It's becoming a concern. Uh, and, and I say that because um, it's the awareness. It's the pocket awareness. His mm-hmm. confidence in looking down the field is blinding at times his his sixth sense, which is feeling that pressure coming. And when to step into the pocket – you know, and, and again, and that's just something that he is going to have to be more conscious of because when you feel that traffic around you, that's where the ball security comes into play. But you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how many times he was sacked in, in high school with uh, with the success of that program at Modern Day. But here, there are scholarship players everywhere on every team, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what he's learning is they're not just looking to sack you anymore; they're looking to call a, a strip cost fumble. Because that's the new sack, right? Right. Let's uh, let, let's flip that over and look at uh, Khalil Tate for this game, Daryl. Um, yeah. What, what what I find interesting is like like just in hat in hand with the whole game, we absolutely stopped Khalil Tate in the first half, and th- there was there was even no signs as we were entering the third quarter that there was some spark left that there was going to be a comeback made. And granted, that was not the same guy. We all get that from what we saw last year, but. You let him hang around just enough. You only sacked him once. Right. Um, and he was able to make enough throws to get his team back in the game. How did you think we handled Khalil Tate in this game? Okay, well, uh, well, you, you mentioned it. And, again, I didn't go to the game, but I watched the game on TV, and I'm kind of glad I did because there were times, Gary, where the camera zoomed in on Khalil Tate's face, and um, and the, the commentators made reference to the fact that, you know, he is an L.A. An LA product and grew mm-hmm. up an SE fan, and you can tell what this game has meant to him over the years. They even went back to last year where he had an hour body experience against USC and still came up on the short end of that uh, of that game. But I almost felt like at times when the camera zoomed in on him, he looked like a shot fighter, where, where he just didn't have that confidence in what appeared to be his left ankle. And right. the times that USC was able to get pressure on him and force him to his left where he couldn't get that foot in the ground, they had a lot of success. And then the times where they flushed him to the right, he seemed to improvise just enough. And I do believe that it's the ghost of Khalil Tate, the, 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 um, the experiences that some of these players have had going up against them in the past that forced them to respect the potential of his athletic ability, even though the reality was – 
it wasn't there, and they could have taken additional chances and maybe gotten their hands on him or even put a little bit more pressure on him in the backfield. So I was a, somewhat as much success as they had against him uh, for arguably three and a half quarters. I just felt like they allowed for him to, to linger along and make enough plays up the middle of the field that, that gave Arizona life. And those negative explosive plays um, that you can one can attribute to – the amount of penalties, which extended some of Arizona's drives. I think it even led to around, if, if I saw the stats right, um, some of those penalties attributed to six of their 20 first downs. So wow. if you think about that alone, six uh, penalties attributed for six unforced first downs, extended drives, kept them in the game, which arguably should have been a blowout. But make no mistake about it. Um, I thought that Clancy Pendergast coming into this game, Gary, had the right game plan in mind. But I was surprised that when you're dealing with a, a quarterback hobbling on one leg, that they didn't take advantage of opportunities that might have attributed to more sacks. And so how did that affect – what did you think of the secondary? Um, we, we, we did see uh, some more Elijah Griffin in this game than we have in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, Langley was out there. You had the first interception of the season. Um, and so always good to uh, always good to get that first pick. Marvell Tell on an absolutely awful pass, uh, but yeah. not by Tate, to throw that one up there. And then I want to ask you specifically uh, two other things in regards to secondary. Before we finish, I want to finish up talking about the penalties in a minute. But uh, Talanoa Hufanga continues to impress me. Um, and then I want to know what you thought about Biggie, and we mentioned a little bit with the grabbiness that reared its head again. Okay, so so let, let's talk about the secondary overall. They came into this mm-hmm. game plan, uh, and they were going to be committed to being aggressive, playing a lot of press coverage, going to jump routes because they just weren't – they were not convinced that uh, Khalil Tate could sit back in the pocket um, and, and really pick them apart down the field. Now, there were times, Gary, where we saw – uh, some of the Arizona receivers uh, make their way up the scene. They try to exploit some matchups with the safeties whose eyes were in the backfield expecting run and, and maybe, you know, got a little delusional there. But overall, I thought that the, the corners uh, were very effective against the um, the trio of receivers that came in very heralded for the mm-hmm. Wildcats. Um, there's still that rotation over there um, with corners. Now I understand why they go right-left corner, because really corners are are creatures of habit, so they, they tend to plant on their dominant foot. They see the ball um, differently, and when you flip them onto the other side, oftentimes there could be a little bit of hesitation coming out of their breaks. But there were times where we saw Langley, then we also saw Elijah Griffin. While both of them possess different skill sets, they're both athletic corners, with arguably better ball skills, but we're not seeing those ball skills all the time translate onto the field. Um, I thought that they were challenged, and, and when you're playing man coverage, you're going to give up some plays. But the key to it is, are you giving up continuous plays, or um, are you in a position to make plays and, and force the quarterback to look other ways? A long-term I think that we may be seeing more of Griffin than Langley and Johnson, Greg Johnson that is, um, moving forward. But overall, I think that that's still an area that USC has to shore up. 
But if you're going to talk as much in, um, as we're talking about those guys, to answer your question about um, Biggie, Iman Biggie Marshall, because I have so much respect for his game and the maturation of his game, being in this program for now four years, struggling early on in his career with pass interference, grabbing cloth, peeking in the backfield, cleaning those things up to become a very reliable upper echelon corner in uh, in the Pac-12, if not the um, all of college football. To, uh, against the Wildcats, Gary, it seemed like those mistakes start to rear its ugly head. His eyes were in the backfield a little bit too long. He started grabbing cloth. And when you grab cloth, that's not the sign of a confident corner. And he was in great position where he could have utilized used his athletic ability. But it was a play. It was a it was one of those pass interferences, the holding call, I believe it was, um, that prevented him from uh, actually what securing that interception. I know he had the interception, mm-hmm. but it was called back because they called, I believe, right. the holding. And then a couple of plays later, now the, the ball is spotted, I believe, at the point of uh, the point of the foul. You're in the end zone. They target him again, and he grabs cloth again. When he didn't have to, he was in great position on the upfield shoulder. If he wanted, he could have undercut the shoulder, or he could have taken away the the left hand of the receiver, which was a high hand. He he was in great position to, to do either one of those two things, but he elected to grab cloth. And when you gla- grab cloth after you've already been penalized for it, the officials are going to target you. It got to the point where uh, the coaching staff, I believe, became concerned that that they would continue to target him where they had to give him a spell, take him off the field. Very uncharacteristic of, of Biggie's senior year, but for that to come in at this time on the road just really kind of put an exclamation point to all the penalties that we were seeing from the veterans. Isn't that crazy? And, and do you know that the, uh, the last time that USC was penalized that much uh, in a game was a game you played in? 1999 wow. versus Oregon. 1999 versus Oregon. Unbelievable. I mean, and it, and it felt like one of those type of games that I might have played in because usually when you start to implode and you self-destruct, um, bad things happen. And, and when you give that many explosive plays or or you, you give life to a team that was really looking for a reason to tap out, um, it, it just bothers me. But you know when Biggie I'm, – I'm going to go back to the Biggie uh, potential interception that should have been. That reminded me of Chris Richard sealing the deal on the road against that very Arizona team, that Wildcat mm-hmm. team, where that might have put, put an exclamation point on the game and really put things um, in a positive facet closing out a game, you know, going into the bye week. But instead, it gave them so much life, Gary, that that crowd – really got involved in the game, and USC was forced into a goal line stance that was one for the ages. Kind of reminded me of years ago when 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 um when that SC defense had to hold up Stanford for about eight plays. You remember that one? I I, I do, and that really yeah. Let's let's talk about that for a minute because it it ended in a touchdown, and okay that it, it happened. But but you're absolutely right. That was just one of those moments for a defensive line. I'm I'm going to harken back to the. It reminded me of an old Georgia Chica led, you know, defensive stand for the Trojans that I was remember in the early '80s. Oh, that's the Marlon Tui, Marlon, 
Yeah, Marlon Tui Peloto and Jay Tufele. That uh Man. I was surprised yeah, I mean, you gotta get those. Healy wasn't in there. You do. Give those you guys do. a lot of credit. I mean, those fire plugs in there. There were times where it just felt like the running back was bouncing off of a brick wall because there was no movement, no movement at all. And you can win with that kind of football because that's what we're missing. So when you hear fans in the message boards talk about the physical physicality of football, I don't care mm-hmm. what the circumstances were of the Wildcats' offensive line. When you can have a dominant performance from your interior line like that, you don't think right. for a second that that creates an intimidation factor, but also it shows the pride of all the work that you put in during the off season in the weight room, all those squats, all those times, waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning, that is when you're rewarded most. When you can have a goal line stance like that, that was beautiful. Yeah, it was, uh, that was certainly nice. So, okay, so you come away with the win. Um, neither player or coaches are, are celebrating in the locker room. And, and now you come home for the bye week. And all of a sudden, Daryl, what we're going to find on the other side of the bye week is very interesting with an undefeated Colorado team yeah. having to travel on the road to Utah, which has always been a tough place for the Trojans to play since they've come into the conference. And so, how do you see this bye week playing out? If you're Clay Helton, how are you approaching this? Because uh, the, the 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 criticisms are are alive and well right now coming out of that game. And uh, how how do you handle it if you're Clay? Well, the bye week couldn't have come at a better time. Okay, two weeks in a row now, uh, you, you have an internal collapse where you, you find yourself having to claw and scratch against Washington State to to win the game. But then you find yourself having to fend off late late momentum when perhaps guys are starting to you know to book their reservations on the sideline for a long extended weekend. Whatever the case might have been, you managed to get out of that game with a, a much needed victory. But you also leave in that game feeling a, a, a sense of distraught or melancholy. I mean, almost like dejected. Uh, for for many of the players who who reference uh, who probably echo, uh, echo the sentiments of Cam uh, Cam Smith that right. although it was a win they feel sick to their stomach that is a good feeling when you're going into a bye week because now now that you have five quality weeks of preparation you can go back to fundamental football in a way that you should have done coming out of fall camp you can go back to the basics and the fundamentals. And prepare for the second half of the season, um, the rest of the season, I should say, with the right attitude in mind. That the best football is still ahead of them, but now they can start to shore up a lot of the fundamental mistakes that are plaguing this team. Uh, the, the passes up the middle, um, finding someone complimenting uh, Porter Gustin to create a uh, pass rush. Going back to that type of competition will help them. Also, giving um, JT Daniels offensively an opportunity to develop more chemistry and rhythm with those receivers, but also get those tight ends involved. You know, And then we still haven't seen the running backs effectively utilized in the passing game. So I think that the, the bye is coming at a great time where you're not going to be able to quiet and silence all your critics. But there is enough noise and enough chatter around this program where you can now say, look, we may be 3-2, and two, but we left a lot of football on the field. Now we have to go back to work, and let's polish this stuff up so we can finish this thing strong. 
And, and, and not, you know, yes, the criticism is out there, but the fact is you are 1-0 in the Pac-12 South right now. The ability to get to the Pac-12 title game and the ability to get to the Rose Bowl is, is still out there. Uh, very still out there. And so, like you say, uh, the first half of the season is what it is. Get the bye week in there. Get what you got to get done. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks at the Coliseum. So, but, but Gary, I, one, one more thing. Can, if we can go back a little bit, because I, I think that if you're on the plane and you're part of this coaching staff or even some of the players, where the narrative should have been, wow, we rushed the ball for 47 times, and uh-huh. you know we were highly effective um, running the ball. You should have felt very good about that offensive performance and the type of production that you, you potentially had on the field. And then I mentioned, you know, um, just maybe a hair away from connecting with Pittman, who was behind the defenders a couple of times, that might have led to additional points, right? Mm-hmm. But then the penalty that, that, that really just kind of plagued what should have been a dominating performance by the Trojans, how should they feel going into the bye week, in your perspective, um, about I, 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 this performance I, I, I like in this game? I, I like hearing the quotes from the players in Helton, that they aren't hiding from it, that they saw exactly what the fans saw. You know, we, 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 we left one out there. That should not have been a game that came down to the end. Um, it was interesting that Clay started to put his usual optimistic spin on things, but then he gave that sentence. So it was like he, yeah. he, even he couldn't wrap a bow around it in some optimistic way, you know. And when, when yeah. Helton's given a statement like that, he realizes it. Okay, I hope you do. Because and, 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 and you can't just – it was a collection of penalties, including the coaching staff getting a penalty, you know, for, for interfering with an official uh, who was right. running down the sideline. So that that's where it's like, okay, you know, that's where the leader's got to kind of step up. Maybe that's where, you you know, you burn a timeout and you just make sure that you have everybody under, uh, you know, um, with the right composure recognizing the situation, trying to calm down the, those momentum um, explosive plays. So I, I was very it – was, it was peculiar for me to watch how they were handling it, and I felt like had it not been for that defensive stance, Gary, uh, I, I might have felt like they limped out of that game with really no answers other than the fact that perhaps um, Arizona – was not uh, at a hundred percent in 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 a position to really seal the deal, but uh, there's a couple of plays that we ha- we've yet to mention. The Marvell Tell um, interception. Well, you mentioned the interception, but also the block field goal. Uh-huh. How important was that? That you know, because that could potentially have changed the outcome. Now, you know, um, that extra point after that that the last touchdown late in the game for mm-hmm. Arizona could have been the extra point for the tie as opposed to, you know, um, finding themselves down by four points and, and really forcing them to have to kick the onside kick and, and try to go for a touchdown. So uh, situational football um, reared its head again, but this time I just kind of felt like, with the exception of the penalties, USC was on the positive side of many of those situational plays, including some timeouts uh, that, um, that, that Clay elected to keep in his pocket uh, that forced the clock to continue to tick. Um, you know, especially late in that fourth quarter. Yeah, like you say, it, it was just enough to come away with the win. And similar, you know, on the road against Palo Alto, in Palo Alto and Austin, the team faced adversity in the second half and didn't find a way to respond. Uh, this adversity hit. 
when you were already well ahead and seemingly had the game in control, and you you came close to giving it up, but you did not. You did not, and you came right. away with a victory. So, like you say, to, to take that, go to the bye week, and say, okay, we're you know we got out of there, we we snuck out of there, however we did, but we did. And now it's time yeah, for the bye. But, 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 but like you said, you know, in this bye week. Uh, the next two opponents, you know, just maybe focusing on Colorado because they're a handful in themselves. That's not a team that, that, that at least from what I've been able to observe, is going to beat themselves. So, you know, USC has yet to put together four collective quarters of great football, but they've shown flashes of it. And, and again, you know, if, if this team is going to um, lead behind the running performance that we've seen over the last two weeks, and settle into a rhythm that way, they're always going to give themselves a fighting chance to win games. But it's when those moments come where it's like they have a lapse in judgment and the explosive plays start to um, really rear its head, whether it's you know an untimely turnover or giving up a big play. If they can just clean up those things during this um, this this break and come in with the right mental um, attitude, I think that they're primed for a run at the Pac-12 South, like they've done in years past. Yeah, it's it's certainly setting up that way. So uh, that's our report here, looking back on USC victory over Arizona. For Daryl Rideau, this is Gary Pasquitz. You're listening to the We Are SC Podcast.